0: Hey guys, I just want to take another quick moment to thank Anchor.fm for making the process of starting a podcast so easy, streamlined, and most of all available. It took me about 10 minutes to create my account and get everything set up. On top of that, Anchor will distribute your podcast to other outlets for you so you can just focus on creating the best content possible. If that is enough to get you started, Anchor will even seek out sponsors for you. It's easy to sign up, you can use your software to record, they distribute for you, and they put money in your pocket. If you want to start a podcast, there is no way to go other than Anchor.fm. I would also like to thank publicdomainvectors.org. That's where I got my logo. And I'd also like to thank Josh Jones. Uh he has his own podcast called The Miseducation of Music. It's available on all platforms. Uh you know, Apple, Spotify, pretty much everywhere you can find a podcast. His is on there. Go check it out, guys. Hello and welcome to the Gladiator Hour. I hope you guys are all having a good n- memorial day. My name is Ryan Johnson, and this is the second episode of my show, which is BioFight Fans, for Fight Fans, Casual or Hardcore. Um, I, I just want to start off by thanking everybody for your kind words about the first episode. Uh, it, it kind of took me um, building up the confidence to actually put it out there. Uh, I didn't know how people would take it, how my friends would take it, but everybody's been so nice about it. So I just want to say I appreciate all you guys and everybody who's followed me on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I really appreciate that too. And I hope I am living up to your follow. In this episode, I'm going to further break down the UFC Stockholm card and UFC 238, and I'm going to discuss a few more recently dis- uh, announced fights and other things that are going on in the fight game uh, all over. It's been a pretty crazy week since I released the first episode, so there's a, there's a good amount of stuff to get into. Um, just to go over the recently announced fights, we have Corey Sandhagen, who is actually looking great right now. Uh, in his last fight, he did a great job against John Lineker, who is one of the scariest guys pound for pound anywhere. Um, he's fighting Rafael Asuncao at UFC 241. We have Alexandre. These are really hard names, guys. I'm sorry if I butchered them. We have Alexandre Pantoja versus Davison Figueiredo for UFC 240. Um, a pretty big piece of news, Juniro Santos versus Francis Ngannou has been moved from UFC 239 to UFC Minneapolis. Um, that's likely going to be to have them take over the main event slot after Woodley had to drop out of his belt with Robbie Lawler because of chronic arthritis in his hand. He's getting that fixed right now. He says that he would. Uh, he's looking forward to a return at UFC 241. We'll see if that works out. Um, we have Khalid Taha versus Bruno Silva for UFC 242, which is getting more and more fights every day. We have Vivian Arajo moving down to flyweight to fight Alexis Davis at 240. And we have uh, the guy that I probably hate most in the UFC, Greg Hardy. Versus Juan Adams, uh, for USC on ESPN 4. Um, Greg Hardy, I, I don't, I don't want to hate anybody, but I can't support a dude who hits women. Um, I just can't do it. I kind of hate, I really hate that he's in the USC. I hate that he's even able to put, you know, that banner under his name. It's like, I don't think he deserves to be in the company. I don't think he deserves to be any, in any company, you know. If you hit women, you're you're done for me. Um, Just a few pieces of standalone news. Jessica Andrade has spoken after her victory over Rose Namajunas. She says she wants to rematch Rose uh, to prove her victory wasn't a fluke, most likely. And she said that she would fight in Rose Rose's territory since Rose came down and fought Jessica in Curitiba, Brazil, which I, I respect a lot. Megan Anderson released a very respectful statement about her loss to UFC debutante Felicia Spencer. She wishes her the best going forward in, in her career. I really hope that Felicia Spencer coming over from Invicta leads to more women joining the featherweight division from other from other promotions. I believe that the featherweight division, the women's featherweight division, has the potential to be one of the most exciting classes in the UFC. Um, I'm thinking back to December 29th when Amanda Nunes knocked out Chris Cyborg in under 30 seconds, or it was about 30 seconds. It might have been a little bit over, but no one expected that to happen. We expected that to be a war, and she just came out and dominated against one of the most powerful people on the planet, man or woman. He's, you know, Chris Cyborg. She knocks out dudes when she's sparring. You know, she's fought some really big boxers. Uh, not fought, but she sparred with some really big boxers in, in women's boxing. You know, she fights at 145. She's been sparring with people who, who box at 165. You know, she, she is no slouch. So Amanda Nunes beating her is absolutely incredible. And that just shows how much the uh bantamweight not the bantamweight the featherweight division is coming along. Um heavyweight Justin Willis has been released from the UFC. I think that this is a, neg- a negotiation tactic from the UFC's top brass. Uh you know, they've been known to do this. Think back to y- to when Yair Rodriguez got cut. They were trying to set up a fight with Yair and zabit magomed sharipov Yair wasn't going for the fight and then the UFC kind of just released a statement that the fight was made and then Yair's you know, tweeted back, you know, hashtag fake news. And then Dana White tweeted back to that, you're cut, that's real news. So I I wouldn't be surprised if Justin Willis ends up back in the UFC in the very near future. I don't, he's a really big uh, contender in the division. He's he's coming up really fast. He just lost to Curtis Blades, but before that he had lost in the UFC. So I, I really would be surprised if they let him stay out. Um, and the UFC parent company, Endeavor, uh, you know, or as more commonly known, WME, they filed papers to go public so, because uh, Endeavor's revenue has increased drastically since the acquisition of the UFC. You know, I, I believe I saw a figure that it was around $3 billion that they made last year. So they're, I'm sure that they pretty much made back their initial investment in buying the UFC of $4 billion um, if they haven't already surpassed that number. My last podcast, I talked about I talked a little bit about the Gustafson versus Smith card in USC 238, but I kind of want to get a little bit further into that since we're so close to them. Uh, So for Gustafson versus Smith, Alex Gustafson says if uh, Anthony Smith beats him, he might not have it anymore. To me, that seems like he would consider retiring if he loses that fight, which I believe would be very unfortunate. He's a great contender in that division. Um, Though he did lose to John Jones twice. If John Jones ever leaves that division, you know, to me, Alexander Gustafson is the next in line to be champion. Uh, if Jon Jones does go to heavyweight, I believe that the person to take up the mantle of champion would be Alexander Gustafson and uh, who- whoever he fought. I think he can beat anybody in the top five other than Jon Jones. This fight is almost sure to stay on the feet. It's sure to be exciting. Both Anthony Smith does have a solid ground acumen, but they both love to stand and bang. Uh, both fighters are coming off losses to Jon Jones, but Gustafson... He seems very upbeat about the fight. Uh, he's not worried about getting the title. He's fighting at home. It relieves pressure from him. And uh, it only leaves what he calls a good pressure. And plus, he's never lost in that arena. That's that's something to consider. I mean, he fights very well at home. Um, Anthony Smith has stated that he wanted to take an extended break after his fight with John Jones. This fight with Alex is going to be his fifth fight within a year and his fourth five-round fight in a row. I think fatigue might be a large factor for him. But, uh, you know, he's a warrior, he's going to come out ready to fight, and he's going to come out ready to win. He's also he's also said that he's excited about the fight, and he wants to prove himself after his loss to Jon Jones. And uh, he said before that he's when he fought Jon, and when he fought the other guys leading up to his Jon Jones fight, to his title fight, it was a lot of him fighting for someone else, fighting for his coaches, fighting for his family, fighting for his friends. But he says for this fight, he just wants to fight for himself. He just wants to go out there and do what he knows he can do. And uh, he's also said that he wants to do to Alex what he wanted to do to John Jones. Um, Another, like, kind of unrelated piece of news, I know I've talked about Luke Rockhold a lot in the past couple days. I mean, I like Luke Rockhold as a fighter, regardless of how he is as a person. I think if he wins this fight at UFC 239 against Jan Blakovich, uh, I could easily see him being matched up with the winner of this fight, especially if it's Anthony Smith. Um, there's a huge beef with those two. Uh, when Luke was still in, in the middleweight division, he was call- he was unnecessarily calling out Anthony, Anthony Smith, saying that he didn't deserve his title shot. Uh, he's a crappy fighter. You know, he should go back to working instruction. And then Anthony Smith came back saying, I'll fight that dude anywhere. I never said anything to him. I've never even met that guy. I don't know why he would come after me like that. I'll fight that dude in a Walmart parking lot. So if they both win their fights, that's a very easy matchup to see. We also have uh, Volkan Ozdemir versus Ilir Latifi on that card. That's the co-main event. Volkan Ozdemir is coming back from his uh, loss against split decision loss against Dominic Reyes, uh, which I've said before. I don't believe he should have lost that fight. I think he should have won that. He should be sixteen and three right now, but he's fifteen and four. Um. Jimmy Mano is coming back after his last loss to uh, Johnny Walker. Nope, not Johnny Walker. To Tiago Santos, who is now fighting for the title against Jon Jones. Uh, Makwan Iamerkani is fighting. And that's pretty much all the big names on the card. Um, The Vulcan versus Ehler fight, that one's probably going to be... It's going to become like a power struggle type thing, right? Like... They both are powerful guys. They both throw knockout punches. So it's really just to see whose technique is better, whose defense is better, and uh, who really is more powerful, who can land the heavier shots more consistently. Whoever can do that is going to win this fight, obviously. Jimmy Manoway is coming back. That's going to be fun to watch. He's always fun to watch. Um, He's a really good fighter. That's about all the big things on this card. Moving on to UFC 238, that's where, you know, the real fun fights are starting. This is going to be a crazy card, man. Uh, We have Cejudo versus Marais as the main event. That's just going to be a classic test of if the striker can defend the takedowns. Cejudo's striking has improved leaps and bounds since he got into the UFC, but Marlon Marais is obviously the better striker. He knocks people out. He knocks people dead. If he kicks you in the head, it's over. That his switch kick is super fast. You never see it coming. He uses it like a jab almost. That's absolutely crazy to see. But if he does get taken down, Cejudo is probably going to win the fight. Because, you know, an Olympic-level wrestler, you get taken down by that guy. It is so hard to get up Because his control is absolutely amazing. I mean, that's all he did until he got into the UFC. Was learning how to get on top of people and control them. Uh, Next up, we have Valentina Shevchenko versus Jessica I. To be honest, this fight isn't as interesting as the first fight because I really don't see an area where Valentina isn't more skilled than Jessica I. Um, with that being said, Jessica I is definitely the number one contender. She's gotten some wins together, some very impressive wins together, but the fact that her best asset is her striking is kind of alarming because, not alarming, but it's kind of concerning because Valentina is one of the best female strikers in the world, one of the best strikers, man or woman, in the world. Actually, I mean, she's two zero in boxing. She's a second degree black belt in Taekwondo, and she's fifty six and two in kickboxing. She beat Joanna uh, Jankiewicz three times, or actually, I believe it was two t- now three times to get the title. But she beat her in kickboxing twice. So I don't. It's going to be a really hard fight for Jessica. I. Um, I would say go wrestling heavy for her, but Valentina is great on the ground too. She has an excellent guard. She's, she has excellent sweeps. There's not really much I see that Jessica can do, but of course, you know, it's the fight game. Anybody, anything can happen. You know, you get that lucky punch behind the ear. You get that lucky punch on the button. It's over. And that's for anybody, no matter how strong you are. Uh, next up after that is Tony Ferguson versus Donald Cerrone, the most like, which, is, which is most likely going to be the fight of the night. I'm, I'm just calling that right now. Uh, Tony Ferguson versus Cowboy is going to be the fight of the night because those guys just throw down. Um, both men have an excellent guard, which means they're really good from the bottom when they're on the ground. So I don't see either of the men really shooting for takedowns. Um, I'm I'm assuming if a takedown does happen, it would be... Reactionary rather than offensive. Um, I believe that Donald Cerrone does have the striking advantage because of his background in Muay Thai and kickboxing um, technique wise, but Tony is also known to take a lot of shots during his fights. He kind of like walks through punches and just wears you down with his volume. He just throws punch after punch and kick after kick, just wearing you down until he can get you on the ground and choke you out or until he can drop you and choke you out that way. You know, Tony is a guy that's always looking for the choke pretty much. Um and that's that's a big reason that Donald's gonna have to stay away from that on the ground, man. He's if I really think if Soroni goes to the ground with Tony, it's it's not gonna be a good spot for him. You know, you see it time and time again where, you know, you see a fighter with, you know, pretty good jujitsu go against Tony and you know, if you get on the ground with him, you just anything can happen because he can submit you from the top position, he can submit you from the bottom position. It's absolutely crazy. I've seen, like, we've all seen him submit people from side control, from the bottom of side control, which is an extremely dominant position from the top. You know, seeing somebody get submitted from there is like, I, well, what can you do with them on the ground? And the answer for me, pretty much nothing. At the moment, Cerrone is in full swing, right? He usually performs better when he fights often, and he's, and he's definitely been doing that. Um, he fought, I want to say, 20 days ago, and he's going to be fighting. You know, on June eighth, that's a that's a really fast turnaround for a fight, and he fought five rounds against Ally Quinta. So I I don't see him having a fatigue issue. This is what he does. He loves fighting like this. But Tony, on the other hand, is coming back from a controversy. Um of course we know that his wife uh filed a restraining order against him or an order of protection against him. Um it wasn't because he did anything to them, it was just because she was fearful fearful for him. Uh, He was saying some pretty erratic stuff. He was acting pretty wild. You know, he was, you know, throwing holy water on stuff. He was throwing holy water on her and their kid. And he was, like, saying people were in the walls, stuff like that. So I don't know how he's going to come back from that. But knowing his confidence in himself, knowing Tony's confidence in himself, I don't really see it affecting him too much. You know, when he gets in the cage, he's a completely different person than when he's outside of the cage. So I don't really see that. Really affecting him too much. But you never know. Other than that on those cards. We have of course Jimmy Rivera versus Peter Yan. Uh, Peter Yan is great on the ground. But so is Jimmy. That's probably going to be a stand and bang fight. And Tai Tuvasa versus Blagoy, Even though that's a heavyweight fight. That's going to be a stand and bang. That they are going to stand. And they are going to throw punches and kicks. And that's going to be a fun fight to watch. Uh, that's it for the main card for that fight for that for that card um other than that not really much going on there after that i want to get into unfortunately i want to get into conor mcgregor um i don't really like talking about this because i really am a conor mcgregor fan but just what he's been doing recently is really weird man like considering where he came from and how he started in the ufc i i just don't understand how he's been acting um it's like he's lost a chip on his shoulder. Ever since that Mayweather fight, it's it's like he's not really looking for the fight anymore. He's looking for the paycheck, which I understand, you know, he makes really good money fighting. So of course he wants to find the fight that pays him the most money. Um My thing is, like, if you're gonna if you're gonna do all this, maybe maybe you should just go and sell whiskey. Maybe you should just go and do your other businesses, because you're kind of you're really playing with your fans' emotions, man. thats It's a really weird thing to say that. It sounds kind of... I, I don't know. It sounds kind of soft to say that, but... That's really what it boils down to. I mean, he's fought, what, once in the past year? And that was against Khabib, and he lost. He's been saying over and over again that he wants to fight Khabib again, but of course Khabib is saying he has to work for it. There's a line of contenders that are waiting to get at Khabib. And Conor already got beat, so he's got to build himself back up there. That's just a fact of the matter. Um, you know, we got Dustin Poirier, who is an interim champion, about to fight Khabib in September in Abu Dhabi. You know, he's not gonna he's not gonna get over him in the line. And then we have uh, Ferguson versus Cerrone happening on June eighth. The winner of that fight is probably gonna fight the winner of Khabib versus Poirier. That's Or at least that's the way I see it. Really the only person that's available for uh, Connor to fight right now would be probably Justin Gaethje. Uh, Which would be a really fun fight because we all know Justin Gaethje is first team all violence. You know, he, he just walks through punches and he wears you down with those leg kicks. And he just comes forward and throws bombs at you. He's one that can knock you out with one punch. We've seen it with Edson Barbosa. We saw it with James Vick knocked them both out in the first round so I could definitely see uh I would really enjoy to see Connor and, and Justin fight uh Connor is wearing a cast on his left hand right now after an injury during sparring and said he was training too hard and his team says he's anticipating a late summer or early fall return at this point Connor's been called up on most of the lightweight division uh it almost seems like he doesn't have the same hunger as I said before you know, back in the day when he first started, he had that, you know, fight anyone, anywhere mentality. I don't see that anymore. Definitely not. Um, an interesting piece of news that I saw online during this week uh, he said he didn't agree with his game plan during the first fight with Khabib because he was training himself to be defensive instead of offensive, where he finds his most success. Um, I just want to say the way it was reported by SportingNews.com in an article written by steven mulehausen is the title was connor connor blames john kavanaugh for his loss to khabib so connor is blaming his head coach uh for his loss to, to khabib that's not what connor said he never said that they're basically putting words in his mouth now he uh the article says that he indirectly blamed him but there's no uh indication of that in the title. It's pretty much clickbait, and I find it very inappropriate to put that out there about about him. Because, you know, the, the relationship between fighters and coaches is very serious. You know, if it comes out that a fighter is blaming his coach for a loss, you know, you never know how that's going to affect the relationship. I believe it was super inappropriate that he said that, there that, that they made that the title. I feel like they should have been more responsible with that. Speaking of Khabib uh the Nevada State Athletic Commission has reduced the brawl ban uh the the ban for Khabib's teammates after their fight um or after they jumped into the octagon and pretty much jumped Conor McGregor at at UFC 229 they were both banned for a year uh but Khabib stated that he would not fight while his teammates are suspended so it can be assumed that the UFC kind of I wouldn't say pressured but asked the Nevada State Athletic Commission to, to you know, shorten these bans uh, to secure Khabib's participation in UFC 242 on September 7th in Abu Dhabi. Uh, that's a pretty interesting one. I don't know if I... I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, it makes sense business-wise, but... As a fan of both these guys... Like, it was... A really unfortunate thing that happened there. Um, I think it's ridiculous that someone that you're not even gonna fight is gonna talk trash to you, you know, before a fight. Um, and I'm speaking of Dylan Dennis. He was, you know, talking smack to Khabib, even though they are never gonna fight, most likely. And Khabib lost it, went over the cage, and, you know, eagle dived on Dylan Dennis. And then, for some reason, Khabib's teammates thought it would be cool to come into the cage and jump connor i don't understand why that was at all necessary i don't understand why they did that yes connor did say a lot of things uh that were completely unnecessary he said a lot of very rude things some things that a lot of people have considered going across the line talking about his father his religion um and for khabib his family and his religion are are the two most important things in his life so i understood where khabib was coming from but where his teammates were coming from I don't think there's any place for that. He had already gotten beat that night. But he didn't, like, they didn't need to go for him again. He learned his lesson. Or we, at least we thought he learned his lesson. He obviously hasn't, you know, as we've seen on Twitter in the recent months. So I don't really know how I feel about their bands getting uh, shortened. Um, A pretty, a pretty weird piece of news that came out this week involving the USC. It was reported that Chechnyan criminals, they've been condemned by the United States and the United Nations for human rights violations against the LGBT community in Chechnya. Now, however you feel about, you know, those things about the LGBT community, however you feel about that, no one deserves to be tortured and uh, and killed for their belief in who they and who they decide to spend their lives with. That shouldn't happen to anybody, however you feel about it. Um, they've been tied to the UFC through connections to Abu Zayed Vizmaradov. He is the pr- the president of the dictator, uh, I believe I'm saying this right, Hamzan kadirov's MMA team. He's the president of the dictator's uh, mixed martial arts team. You know, Some of the members of the team are also soldiers who committed the crimes and the team includes some fighters in the UFC, uh Abdul Karim Edilov, Magomed Ankelev, Said Nurmagomedov, who is the cousin of Khabib, and Liana and Jojua. Um it's been recorded it's been reported that the UFC has made no effort to distam- distance themselves from the situation. They have ma- they made no statements about it or anything. Uh and it's kind of fitting a pattern with the UFC where they don't try to dis distance themselves from people or organizations who have committed like really really horrible crimes um and of course once again I'm speaking about Greg Hardy it's uh, it's really disappointing to see these kind of things um and I'm not saying that they have to kick the fighters that are on that team out of the UFC or anything I'm even if they just made a statement saying that they also agree that they should be condemned something but just to kind of brush it off and say, ah, we're not gonna worry about that. That sits a little weird with me. Um, in one FC news, Cosmo Alexander uh he spoke out after he knocked out Sage Northcut in the first round under thirty seconds. Insane knockout. If you guys haven't seen it yet, go check it out. Um he didn't know the extent of Sage's injuries until he saw the social media post the next day after Sage's surgery. He said he knew something was serious after he was taken out on a stretcher after the fight, but he doesn't like that he injured him to that extent. Uh, though this is a fight game, this is really indicative of the respect that's shown more often in ONE FC. They kind of have more respect for the martial arts aspect of the of the sport rather than the you know entertainment aspect, uh, which is kind of a refreshing look. Sometimes I do like the trash talk, but you know, seeing it over and over and over again can get kind of old. Basically, he he was basically saying that he didn't like giving sage an injury that could potentially alter his career um you know a broken orbital I, I i believe it was uh 8 or 9 fractures on his face you know that that type of injury is rarer than one would think you know people don't really punch that hard it's it's really rare to find somebody like the gloves the gloves work uh as protection for the hand and of course and of course it's been well documented that they don't protect the person that is that is being punched at all Um, but it's pretty, it's still pretty rare, even with the gloves that you see somebody punch that hard, especially at 185, where, uh, 185 is the 1FC's, uh, welterweight division. They, uh, don't allow weight cutting. So it's, uh, 15 pounds above where, uh, they would originally fight. If they were fighting in the UFC, they would have been at 170 and they would have cut weight. But it's really rare to see someone at 170 hit somebody that hard. You know, knock them out and break their face, basically. Cosmo has also said that he will most likely only fight two or three more times before retiring. You know, he's a veteran of over 80 kickboxing matches. He's eight and one with six KOs in MMA. Uh, And it was also an interestingly lopsided. Like when I read that, I was thinking that's a really lopsided matchup for Sage. You know, he has a lot of hype behind him. He's a great fighter, I believe. He has a lot of potential in the future, but. That's just a thing. He had a potential in the future. Um, I don't think he came to a place where he should be fighting a guy like... A, a guy's experience as Cosmo Alexandria. That seemed very, very... Like, when I actually looked at the facts of the fight, that looked pretty weird to me. You know, with, with guys like Eddie Alvarez and Mighty Mouse? Yeah, throw them to the wolves. They're, they were world champions. They're, you know, probably top 10 pound for pound in the world. So throwing them, you know, your hardest fighters, that makes sense. But throwing a guy like Sage Northcutt to Cosmo, man, that doesn't seem right to me. But that's not for me to decide, of course. Um, Alexander Volkanovsky, he's made his first statement after the announcement of uh, Max Holloway versus Frankie Edgar for the 145-pound belt. Uh, he said he was frustrated after hearing of the fight, but he was assuming he was going to fight later in the year anyway, so he really wasn't that mad. Uh, he was just mad at the timing of it, you know, right after his win over Jose Aldo. Like He was basically saying he really couldn't wait for a little bit. Uh, he He's also wished wish luck to both the fighters, because he is definitely going to be fighting the winner of that fight. Uh, I actually had a thought recently or while I was reading about this, I think it's possible that the UFC gave Frankie that fight because he's going to retire very, very soon. You know, Ali Abdelaziz, his manager, stated uh, that a big part of making the fight was Dana White having a soft spot for Edgar. He's been fighting since 05, and he holds the record by for most time in the octagon by a sizable margin, by like two whole fights, by two five-round fights. Like, he has two five-round fights more than anybody else who's ever fought in the UFC. That's a lot of Octagon time. I think it was like six hours and forty five minutes of Octagon time. And he's he's been fighting championship caliber fighters his pretty much whole UFC career. So him retiring, you know, very him retiring soon wouldn't be that surprising to me. And uh, I think going out as a champion would be a great way way for him to go out. Of course, he's fighting Max Holloway. And man, when he's at one forty five, I don't I don't see anybody beating him. You know. A lot of people were touting Brian Ortega to beat him. That obviously did not happen. Uh, if you haven't seen that fight, go watch it. It's an absolute destruction of Brian Ortega's face. And, uh, man, that's going to be a really hard fight for Frankie. going to be a really hard fight for Frankie. Speaking of older fighters, we have Uriah Faber coming, who says he's very serious about a potential return at USC Sacramento on July 13th. That's coming up, so unless a fight is announced soon, I doubt that's going to happen. At that fight card, but you know him coming back isn't completely out, outside of the realm of possibility. Um, he had a grappling match with the 17-year-old jujitsu prodigy Nikki Ryan at Polaris 10 uh, yesterday on May 25th. Today is May 26th, so all this news that I'm talking about now is accurate as of May 26th. Um, he was outpointed in that match. Faber was outpointed in that match, he lost. Uh, that is on Fight Path If you want to go watch that. Um, Uriah retired at 34 and 10. He was a Uf- he was a WEC featherweight champ and he challenged for the UFC bantamweight title four different times. Um, he had one of the best rivalries ever with Dominic Cruz, who he couldn't get the title off of. Uh, they squashed their beef when Uriah retired, but I think it's going to be pretty interesting to see if the rivalry comes back if he, you know, actually does return to the UFC. Um Yeah, no. Uriah coming back would be pretty fun. That'd be a pretty interesting wrench thrown into the division, especially since uh, TJ Dillashaw isn't there anymore after his two-year suspension. Uriah actually talked about that also, Uh, TJ's two-year suspension, of course. Uriah was one of TJ's first coaches when he got into MMA. TJ was an original member, or maybe not an original member, but he was a uh, flagship member of Team Alpha Male, which is Uriah Faber's team. He's the head coach of that team and the owner of that team. Uriah Faber kind of spoke about TJ Dillashaw. When he comes back, he's probably going to be a beast. You know, all he's going to have these two years is to get healthy, to train, to become better. But of course, Uriah was, Uriah was going on a different vein there. He was saying that he's going to have more time to go in the lab and figure out how, how to have an advantage over these fighters, over the other fighters. I think if, uh, it'd be really unfortunate if TJ popped again. I personally don't think he's going to be that dumb. I don't think he's going to attempt that, but of course, you never know, man. Ali Abdelaziz and Uriah Faber agree that Cody Garbrandt needs to take some time off before his next fight to work on himself, both mentally and physically. Ali has claimed that Cody has a problem with his hands. He needs to get that back together. He's also said that he needs to get back to, to the mentality he had when he fought Dominic Cruz, which I also believe. You know, when he fought Dominic, he was having fun out there. He looked smooth. You know, his footwork was great. He wasn't loading up on his punches. He was technically sound, defending takedowns very well. He was a perfect fighter that night. And ever since then, it's been all anger. He's all he's been fighting with anger the whole time. So, you know, if if he gets his if he gets his mental game back on point, I think that he's going to have a great success in the weight division again and he can definitely reach his way back to the title. I did mention Ali Abdelaziz a couple times already. I kinda wanna get into this because it's a really weird thing that, like, for me to see. But why is Ali talking smack to fighters? Like, why is he, you know, tweeting back and forth at fighters? We appreciate that the fighters are talking smack to each other because they're gonna go in there and fight. They're gonna go in there and squash it. They're gonna go in there and see who really is the best fighter. They're gonna see who can back up what they're saying. Ali's not in that position. He's not gonna go in there and fight any of these guys. He's just not. So, I don't get it. Like, why would you do that? You're not in a position to do this to people. You know, he's been trading bars with Tony Ferguson on on there. He's He tweeted that Tony Ferguson is going to be fighting on the undercard of UFC 238. Tony Ferguson is never going to fight on an undercard again. Ever. That man is one of the best fighters in the world. That's just a, That was just a ridiculous thing to say. And also, I've never seen Ali talk shit in person. Like, I've seen him be a serious Twitter warrior, but, you know, I've never seen him keep that same energy, you know, when he's actually face-to-face with a fighter. You know, during the during the conference between, uh, during the press conference between Conor McGregor and Khabib, where Conor just started cra- saying crazy stuff about Ali, Ali was talking back, but he had a wave of, he had like a sea of security in between them. I have never seen that man actually talk shit in person. I think it's ridiculous that he's able to just keep saying stuff like this. It, it's completely unnecessary. Um, I I probably should have talked about this during my last podcast, but uh, Deontay Wilder his knockout over uh, Dominic Brazil. You know, it brings my mind back to what the commentator said during the actual fight. Dominic Brazil just got hit so hard they felt it all the way back in Brazil. That was true. That was true. You know, Deontay, there was a lot of controversy around Mr. Wilder um, leading up to the fight because of the things that he said during during his press tours and stuff like that. He said that boxing is the only sport where you can legally kill somebody and get paid to do so. And he was saying, so why why would I not take advantage of that right? Now, of course, Deontay Wilder is an amazing person. You know, he started fighting uh, at, I, I believe it was 21 or 22 to provide for his daughter who was born with a with a birth defect. Um And a year after that, he was in the Olympics. You know, he's a great guy. Does a lot of charity work. Great person to talk to. Not that I would know, but seems like a great person to talk to, I should say. Um, He's not that guy, I believe. I think that's just him getting himself in the right mindset to go and fight another man. But man, the way he hit him. I... I thought he was dead. I thought he I thought he lived up to it. Thought he actually did it. You know, Dominic he got laid he got absolutely laid out during the ten count. I don't know how he got up. I don't even know how he got to his feet. That's ridiculous. There's no way that dude should have been able to get to his feet. But yeah, man, Deontay Wilder, he's leading the uh resurgence of boxing all over the world, especially in America. You know, it's been said multiple times, been said many, many times. The health of the heavyweight division is the health of boxing and the heavyweight division as exciting as is as exciting uh, as it's ever been? Um, another thing, kind of related to boxing, Poly Malinagi. Poly Malinagi is going to be fighting in the Bare Knuckle Boxing Corporation, I believe it's called, or something like that. He's becoming a real dick. Uh, sad to say. Uh, he's he said that the piece of shit quote MMA community has no idea what they're talking about saying that boxing is not the most dangerous combat sport man that's that is a crazy thing to say because it really isn't the most dangerous sport uh in my opinion at least let me rephrase that boxing's rule set is the reason that it that it is the most dangerous sport You cannot throw any offense to the lower body at all. No offense to the lower body. You go below the belt, penalty, whatever. No, that's a no-go. So all punches are thrown to the upper body, mostly to the head, to the liver, to the ribs, stuff like that. That is the reason that boxers become so, you know, I don't want to use the term punch drunk, but that's that's, uh, honestly the best way to describe it. That's the reason that they have so many problems later in their, later in their lives. Um, a lot of, it's pretty rare that you see a boxer at the heavier weights, especially able to speak, you know, able to speak fluidly, able to, you know, do a lot of things that regular people do every day later in their lives. It's not uncommon to see that a lot of those things just go away later in their life because of how many shots they took to the head. So, Paulie is right okay he's he's right on that point boxing is the most dangerous sport but it is not the most dangerous form of fighting he would not say anything like that if he was fighting under mma rules If he got leg kicked like three times he's in a whole different world of problems and we all know that if you let art if you say artem you can take him down if you want guess what artem's doing he's taking him down because he knows probably has nothing for him on the ground I'm not saying that boxing is any less beautiful, any less, you know, amazing of a sport, but it is. That's that's what it is, though. Boxing is a sport. It is for entertainment. It's it's a gladiator sport. Mixed martial arts, you know, MMA started as a way. I mean, if you think back to UFC One, it was a tournament to see what style was the best and what won, Jiu-Jitsu ground fighting not boxing and there were boxers in that tournament if you think back to the one glove guy i don't understand why he had one glove on but it was a boxer he had one glove on you know he lost got choked out by hoist gracie on top of the things that he said about the mma community paulie has also been incredibly horrible to artem lobov which i don't really understand i don't understand what artem did to deserve any of that um like yeah he's with mcgregor and mcgregor was a was a was pretty was a pretty big dick to uh to paulie but i don't i don't see an area where artem did anything to paulie it's like he's being an asshole to him just to get connor to acknowledge him it's like a it's a super childish move to me um he's acting completely unprofessional in my opinion he's acting classless uh it, and which is really surprising considering how respected and respectful he is in the boxing community as an analyst and commentator. I mean, he even spit on Artem Lobov during their press conference. I mean, they're fighting on June 22nd, so I'm sure that's going to, you know, be figured out. Like, they're going to they're gonna work that out. But he spit on another grown man. Like, how disrespect? how disgusting do you have to be to spit on another grown man? Like, what crossed his mind to think, did, did he think that, that he would get fans off of that? No. It just makes people like me who do like Paulie Malignaggi as a fighter and as a commentator and as an analyst who are completely wondering, like, what is wrong with him? Why is he doing this? It's, you know, it's a very unfortunate thing. Definitely. I hope he, uh, pulls his act together. I hope he you know, realizes that what he's doing isn't going to help him. And plus, fighting Bare Knuckle? Like, Paul doesn't have to do that. He's got money. He's got his jobs. You know, he's got income. Why? Why would you fight bare knuckle? Like, sure, it, it might lead to less head trauma. Because they don't have gloves, so they don't have that hand protection, so they can't punch as hard. But you get, like, a career's worth of cuts in one fight. They're fighting five rounds with no gloves. That's absolutely insane to me, and especially a guy as articulate as Paulie Malignaggi. Like he makes, like he makes his money off of being able to talk. So why would you go and do and do something like this? And I, I highly doubt he's being paid enough to make that worth it. I don't see the point of bare knuckle boxing. I understand that it's a, uh, it's definitely a more natural way of the sport, for sure. But I don't know if it's a better way to do it. Once again, that's not for me to decide. All right, guys, that's going to wrap up the episode. Um, Once again, I just want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, All my friends, all my family, anybody who, you know, sat through the whole thing. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate the support. Uh, Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Gladiator Hour, all lowercase, no spaces. Um, You know, I've learned, I learned so much through the first episode, and I hope that you guys really enjoy the second one. Uh, I'm trying to make the audio quality a lot better. I hope I was a lot more articulate. I hope I was a little bit more entertaining. Um, Thank you guys once again for listening. This is Ryan Johnston signing off.